aboard the struggle bus. You've got problems just like us. Climb aboard the struggle bus. Let Kate and Sally help you. Welcome to the struggle bus. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. And we're here to fix your lives. That said, we are two people whose only qualifications to give you advice are that we have lots of feelings and lots of opinions. Neither of which are a substitute for professional guidance. <laughs> That's the best one. Shaking it up. How you doing? Best one ever. Um, I am really struggling to digest my breakfast. Yeah. It's it I had an amount of peanut butter that can only be described as near toxic. It'll fill you up. Yeah. It's really filling. I feel like a lot of my energy is going to processing the peanut butter. <laughs> but I'm gonna like I'm gonna get it together. We're well gonna done. be fine. Well done. We're Excellent. gonna be okay. Yeah, you, you look great. Thank you. I do not. You look amazing. I, I think we both look amazing. You need to. I mean, yes, thank you. And um, you need. I just. Uh, I was having trouble sleeping this weekend. I wasn't feeling well. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're like three days at a stretch, like you just can't sleep. It's too hot out. The mm-hmm. AC's not working hard enough. And last night, I finally got this like real deep sleep. Mm-hmm. But I set the alarm for five thirty a.m. because mm-hmm. we were going to meet. I wanted to go over some things. I have uh, some things to do in the city, so I am so tired and loopy oh, right now. Man. So you're getting loopy. No, this is good. Maybe I'll be like really more honest with people. That's cool. Okay, so you you're know? loopy, and I'm like peanut butter. Loopy and peanut butter co- coma. Is that a butter. cartoon? Peanut butter madness. They call it. That should be a. That loopy should be a cartoon. And butter. Oh my god, we can okay. do the voices, listeners. If you want to draw Loopy, the adventures of Loopy and Peanut Butter, uh, please, please send it right to away. you know where you can contact us. Which leads me to <laughs> oh you can God. tweet at us at StrugglebusPod. Use the hashtag StrugglePodBudsport20 to find a struggle buddy online. Email us, uh, ask us questions at StrugglebusPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Instagram.com slash StrugglebusPod. We don't have the password for some reason. <laughs> Funny story about that. Um, and you can always tweet at Sally T and me at SPK Heller. And if you would like to join the secret Facebook group, um, um, it is not exclusive. It is a safe space, but you have to send us your email for us to add you. And the good thing about it is it is private, so no one can even find it if they are not a member. And you can lurk and also uh, add things or like things or post about your struggles or send uh, cat photos. And just give us your email address in the subject line, say, add me to the group. Mm-hmm. If you're also asking a question, send it as a separate email because we cannot multitask. Um, so, Yeah. Oh, and if you have a time-sensitive struggle, we will really try to get it to you, uh, but put that in the subject line of your email. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, regarding Instagram, mm-hmm. so I got a text from you. <laughs> yes. Or it was an email. I don't know. But it, it was, was a like, te- It was like, did you change the Instagram password? I can't log in. And I was like, huh, I don't think so. I tried to get in, couldn't, and I've been trying to get them to reset my password, but it's this whole rigmarole where they send you an email and you have to take a photo of yourself. What? With what? A, with a number that they provide you, and you, you're you're you have to write that number down on a piece of paper and take a picture of yourself holding. Are you sure about this? like a ransom thing? That doesn't sound normal. I know it doesn't sound right, but they have to like prove you're you, or I'm terrible at using the internet, and someone is like catfishing me. I I hate to say this, that doesn't <laughs> sound correct. <laughs> so anyway, please. Did uh, you really do that? Yeah, I did that. No, it, <laughs> but I I sent an email to Instagram support being like we're locked out of our email and I'm asking for the password reset email and we're not getting it. And they responded by sending send me that selfies. email. <laughs> <I still can't. laughs> they, they asked for new. It said send nudes. I was like, all right, I mean, this is going to get my – They said you up. <laughs> send you up. Send nudes to prove you're not a robot. I was like, fine. And you sent them and they so were like, we'll new phone, happens. who's this? Yeah. So we'll see what happens, guys. But uh, at the moment, Instagram, our Instagram account isn't super – They still haven't changed it? Current. I'm – Okay, we'll talk about this. 
Catherine, just just so I can explain what's happening, oh. Catherine is looking at me like I'm someone's great-grandfather who's never used the internet. And to be fair, I deserve it based on the story I just told. I need to see this photo. Um, I will uh, – maybe that's what I'll – Oh, I can't put it on the Instagram account. I'll tweet it. Right. Good stuff. Okay. Because <laughs> we can't put it on the Instagram account. Yeah. Cool. I, I know they've had some security breaches in the past. Like once they had, they made me reset my password because someone tried to log in from Russia. Oh. Yeah. Okay. NSA. That's damn, Snowden. Damn them. Always trying to get in my emails. Um. All right. Well, we'll see. Maybe um the NSA will break into our Instagram. <laughs> Maybe account. they're going to post some selfies. That would be care. cool. Good. You can. You can. Whoever's listening, you can post some pics of you. Um. Sally, what what was your week like? What did you do? Well, let me tell you. I I went to uh, out of town. I went to out of town. And it's oh, a nice place. Yeah, it's a great place. And I don't know if you've ever gone to Penn Station during rush hour. Oh, yeah. Is there never not a rush um, hour Penn Station? I know that. Well, that's a great point. But this was Thursday night, and I just feel like a Thursday in the summer is when like every single person and every single person that they know is trying to get out of Penn Station. It's Penn Station is a hellhole. It's like terribly designed. It's kind of gross. The lighting is bad. It's just like everything about it feels uncomfortable and terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and my train was delayed. And the thing is about Penn Station, it's not like when you're like flying somewhere and they like tell you how long the delay is or they mm-hmm. give you some details about how this might affect your overall trip. You're they're just like blind. blind. <laughs> yeah, they're just like your train is late. Like that's that's the data you get. Mm-hmm. So, um the train was really late and I don't understand it when trains are late. Like there's no how, traffic. How? I don't understand. Why is it happening? I know, go on. Sorry. Okay, no, I had the same thought. So, the train was like delayed by an hour and a half and killing an hour and a half in Penn Station is like pretty brutal. But worse things have happened to me. It's okay. So, but here's the thing. The way it works, for those of you who have never been there or maybe don't live in a big city with chaotic train stations, <laughs> as soon as the track is posted, everyone sprints to the the like the um the track, like the stairway to the track. And there's someone who works for the railroad screaming to make a single file line. Everyone completely disregards it and just makes like a giant cluster. Mm-hmm. And you you just get stampeded. So every, and everyone is being like a total monster because this is New York and everyone thinks that like the rush that they're in is more of a rush than everyone else's rush. Also, we're every whatever. Okay, let you're me let me just the same let me place. I know the train. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay. I know what you're saying. So but any, to be fair, trains can get overbooked. And no, that's end up true. Standing, so. That's true. So I mean that that is the one thing. It's like you're not rushing to like get to the red light. You actually are rushing to like get a good seat. But I decided that I was already in like such a bad mood because of how delayed it was and how tired I was getting, that I was like, you know what? This is going to be a nightmare. Let me just, like, buckle in and, like, be and, like show up for this nightmare. I'm just going to ride the wave. So I get in line, and I'm, like, being crushed between people. There's, like, a guy to my left who insists on continuing to, like, peer over the crowd as if he's going to be able to, like, get some data on, like, when the train is going to leave. And he's, like, knocking into me every time he does it. So uncomfortable. There's a lady to my right who's, like, sighing loudly and hard and, like, texting someone. That's like, me. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, everyone's totally inconvenienced. So I think, like, let's all just, like, take it down a notch and, like, stop being monsters to each other. Like, we can all stipulate that this is, like, annoying for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so it's just, like, breathing. I was, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. Um, we're standing there, we're standing there, we're standing there. And then, so, and I'm like at the back of the pack and we think we're going to this track that's like, there's the east side and the west side. Right. We think we're going to like 11 east. And then 
the PA announcer comes on and is like announces the train and is like 11 West, which just so happens to me to be right behind me, like a foot behind me because I'm on the back. Oh. And it's so it's like it's like I I went from being in the very back of this giant cluster to being like the third person on the train. Oh, amazing. That's great. It was so great. So you wrote in the Google Doc, Redemption at Penn Station. Redemption at Penn Station. I'm not the kind of person who's like, the universe is rewarding me for mm-hmm. not being a monster because the universe should probably be rewarding someone else for – someone probably like pushed someone out of the way of like an oncoming truck or something. <laughs> that person should get a reward. But it just felt great. Yeah. I like calmly walked onto the train. I got a seat and all these like monsters who were making a total – mess of themselves and everyone else like maybe they didn't get a good seat and they were punished by the universe real talk would that have happened if conductor whiskers was working (gasps) penn station oh my god or would people be like just so delighted i feel like everyone would be in such a good mood he would probably want to get in the train in the choo-choo like he does and then go at sumi and be like i'm on the train too and everyone's like he's so cute conductor whiskers that would have been amazing yeah we need more cats on the train we sure do yeah anyway enough about (laughs) my adventures on Amtrak. Mm-hmm. How has your week been? Well, you guys, so if you follow me on Instagram, because I uh, I I retain the password, I'm really weirded out by that, but <laughs> I okay. I am too. Do you want me to try to do it? Okay. Um, <laughs> we'll so, figure it out. Yeah. So um, I it was, it's our uh, anniversary week. Me and my boyfriend, we met two years ago this week, <gasps> all because of Mara Wilson, uh, birthday stuff. It was her birthday and um, we met on her birthday at a birthday mm-hmm. party. And so uh, we've been celebrating all week because the 20th we met and the 27th we went out for the first time. Oh God, and then I there were some it. in-between hang times, whatever. So um, I wanted to do something fun. So I looked up – oh, actually somebody else posted on Facebook like Purple Rain is playing in Brooklyn Bridge Park um, outdoors. So New York City has like outdoor movie theaters and concerts and stuff that are free. Um, you can bring your own food and drinks. They don't care. They're like, oh, you know, whatever, cool. clean up after yourself. You can buy things. There's bathrooms. It's totally cool. So we um, did that, and I was a little nervous about going because I have really weird feelings about that area for a lot of reasons, but mostly on 9-11, we're watching it from the promenade, and now it's this gorgeous park, and it's so hard to remember, like, that was so long ago. Look Mm. at what's changed. Mm -hmm. And I was nervous about going just because I have feelings still about that area. Totally. But I got there, and Purple Rain starts, and we had this amazing picnic dinner. My boyfriend made salad and fruit and sandwiches and it was so awesome and there was so much love everyone's like wearing purple there were children Uh, people are laughing all in the right places they were like cheering for Morris Day in the time because he's a really good friend of Prince in real life and everyone recognizes that he's the villain but he's hilarious uh, at it so they're like yeah you're funny but at the very end it turned into a dance party because I forgot that at the end of Purple Rain which is totally a problematic movie but it kind of isn't by the way I have opinions at the very end, he sings three songs in a row at the concert, and everyone got up and just started dancing. Oh, my God. And I was like, you know, I was so happy because I remember, you know, 15 years ago in this area, this happened, and it was so tragic and so scary and just really sad. And we could rebuild, and I don't want to sound like a cheesy whatever, but Brooklyn, New York City came back, and it's because of the people. And yeah, really cool. all, like, I don't know, there's a lot going on in the world. Obviously, it's depressing and horrible, but... I guess being reminded that we all were together, nothing happened that night, everyone's dancing, being nice to each other. It was packed, obviously, because it was mm-hmm. purple rain. It was a lovely night. Oh, that sounds it amazing. was so wonderful. So it was a really good experience. And I posted a photo of uh, what it looked like. Yeah, seeing, I saw that. That was awesome. Seeing Prince and the big screen and then the city and the New World Trade Center and all that. And it was just really, I don't know, 
That sounds yeah. like such an awesome experience. It was like religious. Wait, yeah, wait, it like transcends like just a really good weekend night seeing a movie. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. Purple Rain though, I think is one of the few movies that passes the Bechdel test. Really? Yeah. I've definitely never seen Wendy it. Wendy and Lisa had like a really good convo about like their careers. And oh, I was cool. like, I think this passes the Bechdel test. Nice. Yeah, just this one scene. Okay. Otherwise it's a little weird. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I have to see it. You never seen it? No. Ugh, okay. <laughs> never have. You don't really have to. I don't know why I said that. It's Prince. No, it seems like you do. I mean, I should. I have to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry. <clears throat> tell me about a thing you did. For All right. Self-care. Well, I don't know if you saw on Facebook, but I, uh, when I was in Ireland, instead <laughs> of taking vacation photos, I decided <laughs> we were making fun of like rom coms and movie posters, and we saw this movie poster, not movie poster, sorry, sandwich shop poster that said oh my god and I was like oh my god that's just like a rom-com so we posed in front of it oh my god. and then I was like oh hey let's like film a rom-com like as a joke like you know a skipping and things like that and my boyfriend's family's like well, what are you doing I was like trust me it's gonna be great but they don't they know me but like I do things I like mm-hmm. make action figures and whatever and I like to be creative just for fun sometimes and uh so I finally got the footage together a new computer and I cut this two-minute rom-com trailer which is just ridiculous it's hilarious and it was fun and I took two hours out of my day to like put everything together and that was my self-care is like I'm doing something for me it's not for money it's not for a new job or whatever it's just for me and it was really can we share the link to it because it's really funny absolutely the part where you trip where it's like begins with a trip and then you trip oh my god of course (laughs) you have no idea how many times I have so many lines for that I wanted to write a voiceover for a friend of mine I was like it's just not gonna work but um it started uh, with a trip. Oh, God. So good. Yeah. Everyone should watch it right away. Because every woman in a rom-com, you know, trips and then blows air up her bangs like, yeah. <laughs> being a woman on vacation. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so that was fun. And I saw an old friend. His name is Matthew. Oh, and cool. um, we ran into each other on the train and we made plans to get lunch and we actually went to lunch together because you know when you're like let's get lunch yeah. we did and he's now listening to the show of us. Oh, so man. hello Matthew. Hey Matthew. It was really nice. That's so cool. What did you do for self-care? I talked to my brother. Um, I It was over the weekend and I was like you know I could just use like a really quick like time out of life um, and I, I was like oh I, I want to call my brother and then But then I was like, you know, but I don't really want to like – you know how when you're like feeling down or stressed or whatever, but you don't really want to talk about it because that's going to make it – you make you have to like engage with it and you're not ready to. So I was like, "Ah, I'm not going to call just because I don't feel like talking about this right now. And then my phone rings and it's my brother. How about that? And um, so we talked about The Lobster because he had just seen it. And we talked – well, let me just say we started talking about Pizza Dragon. He called me to tell me how – all he does is sing Pete's Dragon and like try not to say lyrics from Aww. songs in conversation. And I told him that sometimes I wake up with lyrics to the songs from Pete's Dragon already mm-hmm. running through my head. Um, and then we talked about The Lobster. And we talked about this movie, The Adjustment Bureau. Have you seen that? Heard about with, it. it. Matt Damon and Emily Blunt. It's a Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick based on a Philip K. Dick story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really fun. And it's like kind of – it's a rom – sci-fi kind of I love it it's really cool so we talked about that and we just kind of talked about movies and like we I didn't really talk about anything that was happening in my life that much um and kind of neither did he we just like had a really fun time talking about stuff and like quoting movies and stuff and it was like it was like a half an hour it wasn't like an epically long thing but um it totally turned my day around and it was just like awesome yeah I feel that way before therapy is like I don't want to talk about my problems and then you do I know I always feel that way about therapy Mm -hmm. well especially this time of of year they go out of town during August most shrinks go away during August you're right and this is my last session with her until you know she comes back so I feel like why bother talking about a thing when we're (laughs) be gone for two weeks yeah 
you know, and you're not there to handle it, why well, I'm not going to, you know, yeah, let's talk about you instead. <laughs> what are you up to? How yeah. are you feeling about me? What are you me? doing for a vacation? I, I just realized that I don't know. I don't know if my shrink is going away. I guess he must be because they, they go away. Most it's of like them a thing. do. Yeah. Um, they go to a place called Shrink Island. Oh, man. There's a, there's a lazy river, mm-hmm. uh, Freud's um, – uh, river water ride. Uh-huh. What's it called? Umbrella drinks. Well, they go tubing down Freud River. Tubing. Yes. <laughs> Do we have an episode title? <laughs> tubing down Freud tubing River. Tubing down Freud River. Um, Excuse me. Yeah, I don't know how that tradition started, but it is a thing. It so, totally is. In yeah. general, yeah, yeah. Maybe they're just like everyone is such a disaster by the very end of the summer that they're like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here and, we'll, and let these people just like get their shit together. And, and most and, people go away or whatever. Yeah, so. totally. Um, okay, well, should we do it? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so this first email is actually feedback from a listener. Mm. Well, not feedback. Well, kind of. Whatever. Okay. So this is from a listener who wanted to respond to Jean Belcher's question in uh, episode 52, Drapering. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jean was calling – or calling. Are we calling show now? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, You're Jean- on the air. <laughs> okay. Caller, go for Catherine and Sally. Um, <laughs> Jean Belcher was writing in to ask some questions about – whether or not they're trans and was basically like, here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what's going through my head. Is this, does this mean I'm non-binary? Does this mean I'm trans? What's happening? And, and you checked Siri and Siri. Knew, yeah. <laughs> we asked Siri. Yeah. Um, no. So, and then this person wrote in and said, uh, Hey y'all, I just wanted to say that you can tell the person who wasn't sure about being trans. And if they were sexualizing themselves, that their thoughts sound totally normal to me. And in fact, some of them are word for word, what I thought pre-transition. If it'd be helpful for them, please give them my contact info and I'd happily chat with them, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. And so I passed that on to Jean who thanked me and is going to contact this listener. So I just wanted to share it because I thought that was awesome. Super. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, and then Krieger wrote in, because if you remember from last week, uh, Krieger's the one who ha- works in an office with a lot of people talking smack, mm-hmm. talking about each other. And we said basically, you know, just it's no one else's business. Don't say anything to coworkers if they're not talking to you about it, what you overhear. But he did want to clarify something, and this was interesting. Uh, he said, hello, Catherine and Sally. Thanks for your advice on the most recent episode. My colleague can absolutely handle his own business, and subsequent developments have proven to me that I was making too much of a benign situation, thankfully just to myself. As to why I'm interested in fixing these problems, I'm the manager for all these folks. Moreover, I'm an army officer, so the model I've adhered to goes beyond standard management tasks. I'm used to being responsible for the morale, care, and feeding, and good order and discipline of the people in my charge. Add that to the fact that we are all intelligence officers and contractors on the joint staff who should be able to keep secrets anyway. Great point. And I think that's where my overactive drive to intervene comes from. Uh, I think that as much as I know intellectually that I'm working with responsible professionals, my instincts are still informed by 17 years dealing primarily with 18 to 22-year-old hyper-masculine soldiers, guys who needed to be told every Friday not to drink and drive, to use protection, and please don't get picked up by the MPs. I don't know what that is. Military police. Ah, thank you. It's now difficult for me to shift gears and be the supportive manager who doesn't get too involved in the affairs of other employees. I'll work on focusing more on management tasks, let the analysis come to me if there's a problem, and maybe sign up for some classes on management techniques. 
banks from the basement of the Pentagon. We don't have any windows, but the corridors are certainly wide enough for the struggle bus to make a stop from time to time. Yours, Krieger. Krieger, thank you. Sally, we're in the Pentagon. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. Maybe that's the Instagram they went in. They were like, well, now that they're in the Pentagon, we got to do some recon. You totally just solved and, it. And Sally's one, like, we want the pictures, uh, fingerprints. Oh, man. It's cool. Does this mean that we officially have security clearance yeah. well, to go to the Pentagon? They're getting it from oh us. My God, that's, that's why so you, they asked for your photo. Thanks and, for arranging that, Krieger. We'd love to come do really... a, a live broadcast from the Pentagon sometime, and yeah. we'll consider your email and invitation to do it. Yeah, totally. Um, so thanks for writing in. All right. So this is from – do you know how to pronounce this name? I don't. It's a I know friend's it, joke. Mm, um, I love it. So this person wants to go by Regina Falange. Falange? Yeah, okay. Falange. It's uh, Phoebe's fake name and friends. Mm-hmm. I'm not – I've never really got – I never got into it, friends, so I don't – Can I tell you something? Talk Real to me. Real quick. I never got into friends. It's funny. Friends would like show it to me, clips, whatever. And I got a Nielsen box for the first time ever. I, this is when I was younger. And I was like, wow, that's a real thing. They're like, you want to be a Nielsen family this week? And not a Nielsen box, but like they send you a thing. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, just write down what you're watching. And now that the pressure was on, I was so self-conscious of what I was watching. So I started watching Friends. Oh, my God. And the the, the sheet was Friends every single day because it was on like, um, what's it called? Syndication. Syndication, yeah. And Seinfeld, which came on after. And I never watched those shows, but I like – yeah, and whoever I was living with at the time is like, Catherine, these are not your choices. I was like, I don't want them to know I watch Dawson's Creek. Like, it's totally weird. I want weird. them to know, like, a normal American who just watches Friends all the time. Yeah, yeah. so that was the only time I watched Friends. I've definitely seen a couple episodes here and there, and uh, it never, I never really could get it up for Friends. Their but apartment is way too big. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. I know that's a classic joke, but it's like, that's not a thing. Yeah. Ever. Also, you just, you can only watch so many TV shows of, like, successful young white straight 20-somethings yeah you know yeah whatever. but life is so hard for them come on now that it's is, good to like build it, them up it's true uh, do you mind reading this letter because i want to hit that coffee i'm barely yeah, awake i right would love now. to so this is from regina falange <laughs> hi kate and sally my question is about dealing with a friend who struggles with anxiety i have a friend that i have known for five plus years now and when we get together i always have fun she is sweet and supportive and funny and i do love her but being able to hang out has always been a struggle. She often bails on plans last minute, won't show up or answer her phone until hours after we were supposed to meet to get together, and then claims that she fell asleep or had an emergency staff meeting, etc. The old emergency staff I meeting. I like excuse. her style. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's a good one. I'm going to use that I'm today. I'm going to start saying that. I don't even have a staff yet. <laughs> um, she is also a compulsive liar, and she usually does it to excuse her backing out of plans or just to inspire pity. For example, she will tell me that the reason she forgot that we had plans is because she had to work the day before, and the person that was supposed to come in for the shift after hers didn't show up, so she was forced to work 48 hours in a row, and she hasn't slept in a week, which is just illegal and sounds like a lie. Then I saw that she posted on Facebook about seeing a movie with a friend the evening before. Mostly, she just tells stories that don't add up. I've tried to ask her some probing questions about some of her more some of her more blatant lies before, and she gets extremely uncomfortable and shuts down. I've also tried to change the things we do together, like I will invite her over for dinner, so if she doesn't show up, I'm not waiting around for her or knocking on the door when her car is parked out front, but she won't answer the door. This change was helpful for me so that I don't get mad at her for bailing, but it also means that we don't get to do anything that I want to do. I love going out and grabbing a drink or getting coffee and going for a walk, seeing a movie, etc. But when we make plans like that, she she always bails last minute. Then she will tell me about, or I see her tagged in pictures on Facebook with other friends doing things like what I want to do, and it makes me feel hurt. 
I feel like I have put in a lot of work with her to make her more comfortable, like sitting with her and practicing before she makes a phone call to schedule a dentist appointment, help to write emails. I've gone with her to the office at our college so she could drop a class that she was failing. And I will exclusively make mac and cheese when she comes over because she's a really picky eater but is too anxious to tell people. And after all the time we have spent together and all the things we have shared with each other, she still won't acknowledge that she struggles with mental illness. I've been very open with her about seeing a therapist and the different levels of anxiety and depression that I deal with all the time, but she won't open up. She has hinted around it before, admitting that she has a compulsive lying problem, but she made sure to tell me that she only lies to her parents to make things easier, but not to anyone else. To be honest, all I want is for her to acknowledge that depression and anxiety are something that she struggles with, and when she cancels plans, to just be honest. I am completely okay with her canceling because it just it's just too much to handle that day. I'm not okay with the extreme stories that I know are lies because it hurts my feelings and makes me feel like this is a one-way friendship. I also want her to tell me what works for her. She always defers to me to make plans, even if I ask her multiple times what she wants to do. A lot of my other friends have told me not to keep trying with her, but I've known her for a while and we have had a lot of fun together and it's hard for me to just not care. They have all said to me that I can't fix her problems for her, and the end result is that she is not someone I can rely on, and she isn't being a good friend to me. How do you deal with this type of friendship? How do you work on a friendship that feels one-sided? Is this a toxic relationship? How do you confront someone in a lie when you can easily see that they are clinging to any story that will make it so that you can't be mad at them? I just want to help. How do I do that? Thank you for all the love and support. Regina Falange. <laughs> um, all right, Regina, thank you for writing in. This is There's a lot happening here, so let's start to unpack it. Um, so the friend I saw last week for lunch is a really good friend of someone I had dated for a long time. And of course, the topic came up. I was sort of asking how things were. And I, I mentioned, yeah, I was kind of frustrated with something he had done or whatever. And um, I forget his exact words, but my friend said, um, at what point did you, are you going to, or did you realize that just wanting him to act a certain way is never going to make him act that way? And that, you know, you, you're not him. That's logic, but he's not you. And he goes, so, you know, at what point are you going to realize that? And I was like, right now, actually. <laughs> and he laughed and he was like, you know, and it really was a good reminder that there's times where I don't understand why people do things because I'm not them. But that's a really important lesson is you're not them. Mm -hmm. So, Regina, I don't know what you're getting out of this friendship. I have a friend who's not exactly like this, but similar. And I found that there was nothing I could do to help her. So I kind of let it go. And that was good for both of us. We still see each other sometimes. And I care about her so much. But I can't force her to not be depressed. I can't force her to call me. Uh, she never lied to me. But I feel that she would if she had to and not because she's a liar or compulsive about it. But some people, when they are not doing well, feel backed in a corner when someone's like, where were you last night? Like... I don't think you should take it as personally as you're taking it, but I also think you can't expect someone to behave the way you want them to. So that's the first part. Uh, Sally, do you want to jump in? Or? Yeah, I agree. I, I I think that you can't care for someone so effectively that it like cures or treats their mental illness. And I mean, I think uh, I think lying compulsively if it's not considered mental illness, it's definitely like a, a pathological behavior. Um, that I think would need attention outside of a friend trying to like call them on their lies or get them to open up about their lying. So 
that that's like one thing. Like, I don't know why you think it's your responsibility to like make her see this behavior and admit to it. Um, so that's the thing I would ask yourself. But I think the other thing is like, I think that if if your friend was like, you know, what I need to be more functional in life and in our friendship is for you to plan things around me all the time and only make food that I want to eat. Um, and and then you did all that stuff and her behavior didn't change. I think it would be reasonable to be like, hey, but you said if I did all this stuff, you would change. But you like took it upon yourself to do all of this stuff. Um, and I understand that that's like a great thing to do in a friendship. Like you make accommodations for people because you know their likes and dislikes and you know things that make them anxious and stuff like that. But you should do that because you care about the friend and you enjoy it when they are enjoying something, not because you have to do it to make the friendship easier for you or you have to do it because you think if you do, it'll make the person a better friend. Because I just – I don't think that's like realistic at all. And I think also like when I read your email, I'm not, I'm not like getting like, oh, acts of altruism. This person wants to just help this other person. I'm getting – like I, I feel like maybe there is something that you are getting out of being in this thing with her because as your friends have pointed out, like you're not getting a lot from her friendship-wise. She's bailing on you. She's maybe hanging out with other people and posting about it. Um, she lies to you. Um, all the stuff that really frustrates you and you're continuing to not just like make plans with her but to go to all these lengths to, to try to like fix her, help her, solve her problems. Um, and I'm not really sure – why you're invested in doing all that. So I mean, that is a thing I would definitely think about. Yeah. Um, I, I highlighted, highlight whatever, uh, the part where you said, to be honest, all I want is for her to acknowledge that depression and anxiety are something that she struggles with. Oh, Regina, I, all I want is for so many people to admit that they have depression and anxiety and they're going to deal with it. But you know, you can't expect that from anyone. I definitely have people in my life. I've had to be like, they're never gonna, I can't save them because mm -hmm. they're never going to save themselves. I'm sorry, that came out wrong. They're never going to take the steps necessary that need to be taken while also having your friendship. Like if someone needs to go through something and they've got the doctor and they got the other thing and they need you to hold their hand, that's different. Mm -hmm. But when you're trying to do everything for her, it's never going to work. She really needs to figure it out herself. And you've already said it. There's nothing you can do to convince mm -hmm. her otherwise. And you have to just sort of let it go. And I know that feels like you're leaving a friend or uh, they won't be okay without you, but she'll be fine. I would say take a little bit of a break from this relationship. You don't need to tell her you're taking a break. Just maybe don't call her and see if she, you know, after a week called you and really reassess this friendship mm -hmm. because – I think I understand if you're taking it personally or like I would too, but the older I get, the more I realize people behave in certain ways for reasons you'll never know sometimes. And all that matters is how they're treating you. Mm -hmm. So Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, if you haven't ever tried to sit down with her and have a conversation about your friendship and your feelings about your friendship and the way that she treats you as a friend, I think that that's a great thing to do um, because I think that – Doing things like kind of making accommodations for people and um, in like a kind of roundabout way, trying to get them to open up or get them to be a better friend, that's not really the same thing as like sitting down with someone and being like, hey, here's where I'm at in this friendship and here's why. You know, I feel this way when you bail or when you bail and then post on Facebook. Um, I think you lie to me a lot, whatever. Um, and, you know, you can offer to help, help her in whatever way if she wants 
you know, help with like mental health stuff, um, you know, or uh, sorry, offer to support her in whatever way. And and if from there nothing changes and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, everything's fine, or you don't get you don't get a response from her that indicates that she wants to like repair the friendship or be a better friend, I would say she's maybe like not a good match for you friend wise. Mm-hmm. I think it's like definitely a reality that not every person who's like funny and awesome and cool to be around is like compatible for us as a friend all the time. Yeah. And you know? it can drain you. It's totally. like, are you taking care of yourself? You seem to be like catering to this person's every need and I don't, you know, that's that's rough. It sounds like you have to keep tabs on her and that's a, another part-time job. Like mm-hmm. maybe just ease back and and really maybe figure out why you want her in your life and really figure out if it's going to be working for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had something to say, but – Well, just – can I just oh, – oh, yeah, go, 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 go on. No, no, no. Well, I was going to say just to add to that, like you ended the email by saying I just want to help. How do I do that? And first of all, I think you need to separate like how hurt you are as a friend from wanting to help. Those are two different things. And if you do want to help, why? Um, and you also asked like how do you confront someone when they're clinging to a story? And I just – I think when someone – lies to the point where it's like they're getting through the day by telling lies to people. I don't I don't really know why you would try to like catch them in a lie. Mm-hmm. It's like again like this person something is happening with them psychologically or emotionally and you're not going to be able to like talk them out of it by being like, "Hey, I caught you red-handed." Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I um this is totally not exactly the same, but I I'm reminded of this. There was a time I was going through a deep depression and uh, I was kind of off the radar. I wasn't going to friends things. I was not really responding to people's texts. And my best friend like sat me down and was like, "What can I do to help you?" And it meant a lot to me. And I was like, thank you. But I think I do kind of need to just Mm -hmm. be in a corner for a second. And she respected that. And she only asked once. And it's like, if this person needs your help, I think they know that you're there for them. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think for right now, you just need to understand that it's not you. Something's going on with her. But you, that's a lot of pressure you're putting on yourself. Mm -hmm. And you've already tried. She knows you're there. I would say ease back a little bit and start thinking about, what you get out of the friendship and maybe consider a world in which you don't always hang out or maybe Mm -hmm. you're still friends but not like hanging out all the time. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I know she's hanging out with other people on Facebook and stuff like that. I was going to say some of the things are um, they feel pressured to hang out and it it makes the anxiety worse. It could be a little off-putting that you're um, asking these questions. Maybe she just doesn't really want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, either way, it's not helping her. That's so. a good point. I remember once like I had a friend who was like, you know, you, you've bailed on me a lot recently and I feel like we don't really see each other enough. And it's like, I need more from you as a friend. And I was like, I thought about it and I was like, I can't give you more and I don't want to give you more. So yeah. if you don't, if you want more, like let's not be friends right now or ever if that's what happens. And she was like, okay. And I just thought of something. Maybe Regina also wants to just hear those words. Like, I'm not ready to be a friend to you in that regard. Mm -hmm. But Regina, what if she never says that to you? Because she might not. Mm -hmm. Because it's a hard thing to say to someone. Like, you're Sally way more. You've done a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it was hard for you to say that. But um, it's possible she'll never be honest with you about that. So you got to maybe start to move forward and be like, okay. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Makes sense. I think it does. Yeah. Good luck, Regina. All right. Keep us posted. This person. So this is from someone who wants to be called Rory Gilmore. Did you watch the Gilmore Girls? I started it and um, recently. Okay. 
I had to stop because their dialogue was so quick. I was like, what is happening? Like I got stressed out. Like yeah, a lot. Yeah. yeah. They were great though. Um, I, I like it. I'm not in love with it, but I'm gonna definitely check it out again, maybe. I feel like I, I have so much going on. <laughs> I feel like I need to give it another try because so many people who have amazing tastes are like, really into like it. Like Hemda is obsessed with Gilmore yeah. Girls and she's like, You have to watch this. And I, almost everyone who whose TV taste overlaps with mine likes this show. I just I, I agree that the the rhythm of the dialogue is like a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a good show though. Yeah. Okay, so yes, Rory, thank you for your podcast. I'm struggle bussing right now. I might be the bus driver. I'm going through a breakup of a 15 year marriage. He wants it to end, and I would like to try to work through it, but unfortunately, the damage is already done over the years. The good that has come out of this is that over the past month, I've been listening to tons of podcasts. That's Deep Bro, Mental Illness Happy Hour, Help Me Be Me, Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People, Love is Like a Plant, and yours, of course. I have a shitty nine to five, and the saving grace are these podcasts. I should add the person put amazing emojis in the entire email. So Throughout. if I'm stopping and sort of like, oh, a little, little prayer and praising emojis. Okay. Anyway, the good news is that I have been learning so much about myself. I have come to realize my downfalls. I finally figured out what happened in my childhood to make me emotionally isolated. I was emotionally neglected growing up. My parents never, ever talked about feelings or said, I love you. Hugs or kisses? What are those? It was like a light bulb went off when I heard about this on a podcast. I almost cried. I was like, finally, this is why I'm so screwed up. Now I feel like I can work on it, read about it, figure it out. Yes, therapy is needed, but with no insurance, it makes life hard. And now having to save to live on my own is going to make it even harder. But I'm not going to lose focus. I will, I will get there and make it happen. My ex and I are still living together. He's on the couch. He has told no one that I know of that we are broken up. I have told three people, my best friend, my mom, and close friend. They have been supportive and caring during this time. I feel bad as he feels like he has no one to talk to about this. He's just throwing himself into his art and not giving any time to his feelings, which I know is going to be really bad. We have only talked a handful of times and nothing all that deep. We are still friends and care for each other, but I told him yesterday that we need to figure this out, and with us living together, I'm not able to move on. He said we will make time to talk this weekend, it's Saturday, so we shall see. Plus, I'm getting invited to his family gatherings, and he's showing up alone with excuses. I think they're going to figure out something is up. Tomorrow is our niece's 15th birthday party dinner that we were invited to. It breaks my heart knowing I will not be there for her. I love his family so much. I got really lucky with my in-laws. It hurts to know that I may not see them. So we need to figure it out and come out of this news. I'm so scared to let Facebook know. They will all be shocked as I, they will all be as shocked as I was. I don't want to live through that again. Can we just not? But this was just an email to be added to the group. And there I go spilling my guts, making a novel. Thanks for listening. Um, all right, Rory. Sally? Rory, um, I'm not totally sure what part of this you want us to talk about. So I, I guess I'll just jump in. Um, I think it's really good that you told him that you need to talk and figure it out and that living together makes it tough to move on. I think that's like insightful and wise. And I hope that you had that conversation and I hope it initiated, you know, maybe one of you finding a new place to live. Um, I, yeah, it is really hard to have to, um, like I think in a breakup when you're close with the other person's family, I think that can be like one of the saddest things is like knowing that your relationship with them is going to change forever and possibly end. Um, and as far as breaking the news, I think that it's like the anticipation of it is like way worse than actually doing it. Like anticipating it, like 
And then the reaction for the first like few hours or days as people get used to it is rough because you have to like people have questions or people are offering sympathy when you're not ready to like talk about it and stuff like that. But then I think it just it's over. Like you've gotten the news out. You can start to sort of move on from worrying about it and your life will get back to normal. Um, you also – I can't tell if you're like trying to – because you said you want to move on, but you also sa- said that you want to work on the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it sounds like you know it's over, but you don't want it to be over, um, and that's a really tough position to be in. So I really feel for you. Um, yeah. Catherine, what do you think? <clears throat> all right. I don't want to make a blanket statement at all, but I will say that in most of my experiences, that is, when you break up with someone, it is really, really helpful to not be around them at all, let alone live together. And I know, and this is New York City, and I was actually talking to um, two of my clients yesterday about couples who still live together just because New York, it's impossible to find a place. Mm-hmm. And uh, people who've broken up, sorry. Um, some couple they were talking about actually split the bed up with a sheet. It's like, whoa. But um, Wait, split the bed up? Yeah. So instead of like splitting up a room, they had to split the bed because there was literally nothing else there. And they oh had to sleep on the same bed, but they hated each other. Ooh. Yes. That so is they rough. put a curt – I know. And that's not going to – you know the person's there, you guys. The jig is up. Yeah, it's not, for sure. Like, oh, where do you go? <laughs> I'm single now. Um, so the thing is, it's just a constant reminder. And honestly, breakups, everyone's second-guessing their decision. People have a lot of feelings. Um, it's, it, of course, the person like, you know, even if they're the ones doing the breakup, they are going to miss the person. It's really, again, in my experience, unhealthy to not admit like you, you got to just cut it loose and not live together. If you can at all make that happen, have a friend stay with you, have him stay to friends, do an apartment swap temporarily, even just temporarily. You don't have to figure out who's buying the next home first. Like just a really small step just for two weeks. This person's going somewhere else. That's it. You know, little things like that would really help you and him because like you said, you don't think he wants to get back together. And if that's the case, you do need to move on. Uh, And I know you weren't asking about that, but I just, the first thing that jumped out at me was like, that is going to be making the breakup that much harder. Mm -hmm. It really draws it out. I mean, I've not known a single person who that's worked out for. Mm -hmm. Um, And the second they do finally separate, some people even get back together. Mm -hmm. I knew people who after 15 years of marriage and he was like, I don't love her anymore. And he left uh, and he ended up going back and he's like, I really realized I missed her. So in a way it could help, you know, future off. Of course, that's very rare. But like, I can't see that as hurting any situation with him or you just bailing for a while, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I I also think in terms of um, telling people and people wondering what's going on, the thing is that everyone understands that breakups happen. Like, everyone understands. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone's been through it. Um, and I think like even in those times when people get a divorce or break up after a long – period of time at a period of time where you'd be like wow like that's a long time to do with someone and they they broke up that people also are familiar with that like it's just it's not this like I mean it's it it can feel so horrible and like heartbreaking and bad but the one thing you can always rely on in life is that other people have been there with breakups and they get it so even after like an initial shock of like oh my god that couple I never would have expected it then one second later, you're like, yeah, that happens, and they get it. So don't don't underestimate the fact that people will understand that these things happen. It's totally natural. Um, it sucks, and it's it's sad, and it sounds like you're going through. It's it sounds like it's really rough, and that makes a lot of sense. I I think that you know being honest and doing the things you need to do to make to move on are going to be helpful. And one of those things is like not 
living together as soon as you can. And another thing is is probably starting to tell people in a way that feels manageable. I, I totally get not wanting to like update Facebook. Um, I think for some people it's like I the Facebook update will just like let me just get it over with and tell everyone right at once. For other people it's like, eh, this isn't maybe a social media thing. I'll tell a few important people in person or over the phone or whatever. And that's fine too. Like there's no one way you have to do this. But I think maybe once you start doing it, it'll get easier. You know, I, my friend of mine from college did something like that. She was married. They have a kid. And I think that's why it was also a little bit complicated. Uh, She posted one day, hey guys, just so you know, we got divorced a year ago. It was really hard. We decided not to tell anyone on Facebook just because we couldn't handle it. We wanted to wait. It's been a year. I'm doing so much better. He's doing great. Uh, the daughter's doing well. Everyone's happy. Thank you so much for your thoughts. We apologize for not being honest. And everyone's like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You make up your own rules. Like, there's there's no should in that situation. Whatever you want to do, right? Yes, the family might figure it out. Or maybe not. Who knows? Either way, do what's best for you. You know, I was talking to uh, Hemda about, you know, because her and her co-host Keith used to date and live together and they have a show together and, and they didn't tell their fans for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. when they weren't allowed to contractually because they put out a book, but um, they'd broken up and they didn't tell their fans till a year later. And she said it was one of the best things ever because as much as she understands that they were lying to the fans by, you know, keeping it from them, she goes, honestly, even if there wasn't a book deal... I wouldn't have told anyone anyway. She goes, mm-hmm. it's no one's business. Mm-hmm. I was going through it. He was going through it. We were still doing our work. We were still doing the show every single day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's like, I just didn't want to. And she's like, I don't see why anyone ever feels they need to tell people about a breakup if they don't want to. Yeah, that's a really good point. It is no one's business but your own. Yeah. And, like, I think you should make the decision to tell people based on what's going to make your life easiest. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, if it's like – if you're going to be able to avoid awkward situations, like – and avoid more questions that you can't deal with, then, like, sure, of course, still people otherwise, like, do do whatever makes you happiest. Yeah. 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 That's a really good point. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, um, good luck with that, Rory. Yes. And uh, let us know how it goes. Yeah. Hope your conversation went well. Um, okay, so this is fr- – is this my turn today? Yeah. Okay, so this is from someone Ooh, yeah. who would like a – name from the Buffy verse, which as you can imagine makes me extremely happy. Oh yeah. I did give this some thought and I'd like to go with the name Drusilla. I will accept that. Thank you. Um Drusilla, Drusilla is a <laughs> fucking great character. Um I won't I I don't think we have to get into it, but uh just know that Drusilla is a great character. I and mean I think her, the name is Drusilla. Her name's Drusilla. I, I can't mean, even what more do you want? Yeah. Okay, so Dear Kate and Sally, first off, your podcast rules. These past months, I feel like I've been on not just a struggle bus, but a struggle tow truck or a struggle plane (laughs) or something like that. A lot of parts of my life have changed and it's been difficult and even disorienting. And listening to your podcast is so helpful. I feel less alone and it allows me to be more forgiving with myself while on the struggle tow truck. (laughs) Hopefully I can drop a few cars off. Ha. Anyway, I want to focus right now on my relationship with my dad. Just so you know, I am in therapy. Just felt like y'all would be great to ask about this. Basically, there are many complicated feelings I have about him, and it would be awesome if y'all could help me sort them out. My dad has done some great things for me. I'm currently a college student, and he financially supports me, which I am super lucky to have. He also drives me to and from school. He sends me a lot of cards with encouraging and inspiring messages and is very vocal about saying how much he cares about me and my brother and how everyone else says he's a good father and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes it feels like he's trying too damn hard. My issue is that I can't accept affection from him. I feel mean about it, but whenever I get a card from him, it bothers me a lot. 
It feels like he's overcompensating for something, and I get uncomfortable when he hugs me or touches my shoulder. I rarely look forward to seeing him and often feel really negatively about seeing him. To give some history, my dad was abusive, at least in some ways, not physical or sexual, to my mom and brother. He has never acknowledged this or even realizes how much harm he caused. This is the least, he is the least shitty to me out of my family, but still makes me very uncomfortable. He was never abusive to me, but it seems like he only made an effort to spend time with me once I was really academically successful in high school. It felt like he only showed up when I was a trophy to show off. He also sometimes made comments about how he contributed to my success, like he was trying to take some sort of credit. A few years ago, my parents divorced, which was honestly a great thing. It was obvious, it was obvious they were in a loveless marriage my whole life and even before I was born. But considering my mother performed the majority of the emotional labor when I was growing up, after the divorce, my dad was forced to actually <laughs> spend some time with his kids and figure out how to not just be the breadwinner. So a lot of what he does is just like, this is how people be a dad to their kids, right? And it never really feels like he knows remotely what he's doing or whether or not what he's doing is a good thing. Moreover, he's a comedian and makes offensive jokes, including ones about women and other marginalized people. As a woman, as his fucking daughter, it makes me incredibly uncomfortable, but he's really stubborn, opinionated, and closed-minded, and has a temper, so I feel hesitant to talk about how uncomfortable it makes me. Plus, I need the financial support right now, and I don't think he would take that away from me, but I'm scared to risk it. Also, when I was in high school, I was a lot more normal, quote-unquote, and he got me a lot more than he does now. Basically, over the past few years, I've gone vegan, come out to him as pansexual, to which he responded, yeah, of course I accept you, but maybe one day you'll see that you're gay. Become radical politically and gone through a bunch of mental health st stuff, which I'm currently figuring out. My dad talks to my brother about how much I've changed. I've tried to talk to him about a lot of these things, and he is honestly just confused about most of it. Even the concept of sexism is out of his league. He just doesn't get it. He tries to act supportive, but I often don't feel supported by him. It's like he tries to be supportive, but doesn't know what he's talking about, but thinks he knows everything anyway. I see right through it. Often, it seems like he's man, straight, etc., explaining my life back to me. Like thinking that I'm obviously gay and that he's just waiting for me to figure that out. Like not really acknowledging or validating any sexist bullshit I've dealt with. Or for example, he once told me that my cynical political beliefs and veganism caused my mental health issues, which like, fuck that. There's also times when my dad has expressed that he is entitled to spend time with me and no information about my life. At one point, he yelled at me for not letting him in my life enough, and when I did, it was sort of maybe totally not helpful. Once he gets really worried about me, he gets super controlling. My dad is the kind of person who can't hold my pain, and the second I say I'm upset about something, he tries to fix it. And me telling him, hey, that isn't helpful at times, isn't enough to make him stop trying to control the situation and force me to do things I don't want to do. I fantasize about cutting him out of my life a lot, but I think that would be unfair. But I also only see us having minimal contact after I graduate from college, which is in a year. Also, I will definitely see him. He drives me to and from school, as I said, often visits me and my brother in the city I live in. I have one year left if he's financially supporting me because I have one year left till I graduate. So here's my question. How should I deal with him in my life? What should I do? What should I be getting out of a normal relationship with a parent? By the way, if we answer yeah, that question, to. we're going to get Nobel Peace Prizes. Oh my gosh, yeah. Maybe my expectations are messed up and maybe I'm overreacting. I wrote this email after seeing him today and I just feel like I need some new thoughts on the situation and maybe tools to help me cope 
with him being in my life. Because while there are certainly positives, the negatives are seriously getting me down and often make me think about putting our relationship on the table. Thanks a bunch, Drusilla. Drusilla, thank you for that. Um, That was a very, I mean, I don't know how to put this. That letter was very um, honest and well thought out. And I think you are fully aware of all the problems in this relationship and just want some uh, validation. And yes, you are absolutely correct. You know, as someone who has cut a parent out, um, it's hard because you always second guess yourself. I will say that it's the best, not the best thing I ever did. It was something I'm very glad I did, but it is not easy for many reasons, okay? So I am fully supportive of doing whatever you need to do and um, understand. And I think you said you are in therapy or, you know, obviously it's good to have some guidance and help. Um, So I'm a million percent on board. He sounds like I don't even know how to begin. Has he... Relationships in general, in any relationship, parental and end kid, whatever, they're a two-way street. Like, he is demanding you be a kind of daughter he needs you to be without being any kind of father that you need or want. Um, He's telling you, he's using you as a trophy, like the way you said that. Like, yeah, I can see that. He's telling you what to think. He's being disrespectful. He's a comedian. Where do I start? Like, I, <laughs> I really feel like he is just not listening to you. And when when you said, oh, God, that made me so angry that he wants to be in your life more and he deserves it. That's disgusting. Like that gave me the creeps um, because I just felt like it's so invasive. It's so fucking invasive and disrespectful to be like, I want to know more. Like, what the heck? Um, he's clearly not reading anything into you. and You don't want to be touched by him. That speaks volumes. Like, that's... That's huge. That is a big thing. You don't want to be anything to do with him. And especially after the divorce, when he was forced to be a dad, that must have hurt so bad that he really made jokes about not knowing how to be a dad. That's cruel. You know, in his mind, it's hilarious, but he's not doing any work to listen to you. Um, I'm going to stop talking in a second because (laughs) I could go on genuinely all day about this. But I highlighted, I think that would be unfair to cut him out. To who? To him? Like, what is he getting out of this? He gets to parade his daughter around while he makes fun of women. Fantastic. Now, listen, I I know I said a lot. I am confirming that all of your affirming, affirming that all of the things you said are valid and you are, I think you're right. Um, That said, cutting someone out is difficult and um, it's something that is not to be taken lightly. And yet it can help out so much. Financially, I, I get that you're, you know, in this right now. So if you really feel that you want to wait a year, that's fine. But like, maybe start thinking about the next step, Sally, what? (laughs) Um, Well, I'm just wondering if it's possible to um, strike a balance between how involved he is in your life right now and cutting him out completely. Um, You know, I I think if there's a toxic person in your life and there's an emotional abuse happening, I think, like, you should definitely consider cutting them out. Um, You know, I think if if you – feel like cutting cutting him out would create more problems than it would solve um, or if you feel that you, you know, maybe it's not that bad that you need to. I think, you know, that you can do sort of like a harm reduction model where you <laughs> try to just have him less entangled in your life. It, I f- get the feeling from your letter that like if he feels like he has access to you, he's relatively he's like easier to deal with than when you like don't let him in and that's when he gets like really intensely involved in trying to solve your problems so I think you sound like very emotionally savvy and so I think that you're probably the kind of person who can maintain what 
you feel like is a totally surface relationship that's basically appeasing his needs to have access to you and to him will probably feel pretty substantive and deep. So if you can do that, that might be a way to like withstand him. Um, I think that the less you can have him support you financially or with – I think you said he gives you rides to school maybe. I think like the less you can take that stuff from him, um, I think it would be better. I don't think you you need to like – not take anything from him and make a stand and be like, it's not emotionally healthy for me to take any of this from you because that might, it sounds like that might just make him sort of more difficult. But if you can just sort of find ways to provide for yourself a little bit more, um, that might help get a little, a little distance from like how much he's involved in your life. Um, it sounds like you've tried to sort of talk to him about all of this stuff and the sexism and the stuff he says. And I mean, I I think that like I often am a fan of if you haven't yet like had those conversations of like, hey, like here's how I feel when you say stuff like this. I think once you've had those conversations and there's no change, I think you can then just do whatever you have to do to like save yourself in the relationship. I don't think you have to, you know – keep trying to get him to see your way and stuff like that, which I think it's it's hard to accept this. But like parents, like no, no, there's no requirement that parents have the same political views as you. There's no requirement they have the same values as you. You know, there's actually like no requirement that they like see you and understand you and affirm you fully as a human being, which I know like is a shitty thing. Um, but it is kind of the truth. I think in a perfect world, when a parent like doesn't get you, they at the very least wouldn't like make fun of you or, you know, tell you, yes, you think you're a certain way, but I know you're this way. Um, and also in a perfect world, you could sit them down and talk to them about how you feel and they would see what you're saying and understand it and integrate it into how they behave. But that's like – that is a thing that very high-functioning people do, people who are like equipped to deal with life and equipped to be parents. And a lot of people <laughs> – there are a lot of sirens in the oh, background. Yeah, yeah. But I think – I think like in my experience, majority of people aren't really that dealt with and aren't really that equipped to be the most like functional, healthy people, particularly when it comes to parenting. I mean, that that is like a tall order. So I'm I'm saying that not to say like, forgive your dad. He's doing the best he can. He sounds like a great guy. I'm saying that to say lower your expectations by like 150%. <laughs> and um, you know, see if it's possible to sort of reconfigure the relationship so that you can, you know, be around him or have him in your life because it's easier and more convenient and not have it drive you totally bananas. And last thing, if you can't, if that can't happen, if it's like impossible to have him in your life without him making you feel terrible, uh, stop talking to him. <laughs> yeah. I love how I'm I'm like, well, obviously you're going to have to cut it off. And Sally's so like, you don't have to. That, that's a good point. I mean, it's a great point. Um, I think we're both right. We are. I mean, listen, it, it's true. I think actually there is a way in which you can have someone in your life and they may never get it, but you can have your own rules that you dictate to yourself. Um, because I think you understand he's never really going to get it. And trying to rationalize with him, I think, might be off the table at this point. Just sounds like it. Uh, so that said, maybe like in your own head, like these are my rules and he doesn't have to know. I think being dependent on him financially is one thing that you eventually you're going to have to figure out mm -hmm. because in general, that's not a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I agree with that. And also, uh, what was I going to say? Ugh, I forget. Um, I forget. Oh, yeah. I know. Yes. I uh, I had dinner with my mom last night mm -hmm. and I was just thinking about like family and relationships and we were talking about dad and things were coming up. And 
I, I looked at her and I remember we had some rough patches, you know, parents aren't perfect, but no matter what, when I said something, she would listen to it, even if she disagreed and then would like process it and come back. And we've had a really decent, healthy, quote unquote, relationship, even though it wasn't very healthy and it may not still be, but we've found a way oh, to work awesome. together, you know, and it took years and, um, we're still both imperfect. Like some, she did something last night that she always does that annoys me, but I let it go. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, she's going to do that. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that she does. And then we just went on to the next topic. And yeah, I'm sure I do the same thing with her, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and it's just, I, I don't know what the definition of a healthy relationship, but I think you'll know what makes you feel better mm-hmm. and safe. So that's totally. it. Yeah. Whatever you can do. And I also think that the thing that complicates, um, parent relationships is that a lot of times kids have really, strong feelings of like anger or hurt or sadness or frustration about things that like that their parents did or didn't do when they were kids and I think that you can decide that you're going to deal with that on your own in therapy that's for you to process in your life as the healthy adult that you are Mm -hmm. and that is separate from your relationship with your parents now um and I, I think that that's one way of looking at it. I think for some people, like I think if you have parents who are like incredibly toxic or abusive, like they can fuck all the way off and you never have to talk to them ever again. But if you're in that gray area where you're like, ah, this, this, this person is not a great parent, wasn't a great parent when I was a kid, it's frustrating to deal with them, but let me see if I can figure it out. I think that that is a, an opportunity to be like, let me work through some of this in therapy and then work through the stuff that's actually happening now now in the present and just kind of make them two separate things if possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much for writing in. That was really it was it was interesting for me to read coming from my own history. I was very like, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was very interesting. No, totally. So um Drusilla, do keep us posted. You Let do us know you, how it goes. Drusilla. Yeah, Drusilla. <laughs> Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, that was a, yeah, an hour. We're that, an hour in. All right. all right. So should we wrap this baby up? Let's do it. You have the song of the week, right? <gasps> I do. Okay. All right. Oh, so, oh I mean, do you want to do the reaching oh, out? Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So you can follow us on Twitter at strugglebuspod. Email us for advice at strugglebuspodcast at gmail.com. That is also the email address you can use to uh, request access to the secret Facebook group, which you should do right away. Mm-hmm. Follow us on Instagram.com slash the struggle bus pod, which is currently non-functional, but uh, wait for it. It will be soon. Um, use the hashtag struggle pod buzz 420 just for fun or to find a struggle buddy. Mm-hmm. Follow Catherine at SPK Heller. Follow me at Sally T. And okay, I have the song. Sally, we have 192 members of the Facebook group, by <gasps> oh the way. Oh my God, we're if growing. If we hit 200, what should we give the 200th person? Oh my God, the 200th per- Let's, uh, oh, I guess we can't like shout them out because. Yeah, let's give something to the 199th as well because they came in so We'll close. think of something and we'll do something. It'll be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right, song of the week. Let's do it. Okay, so, oh, I didn't write it in here. Okay, so. Um, yeah, it's I, a surprise. It's a surprise. You may remember the song of the summer of, oh God, I don't re- I th- maybe 2012. 2012. Maybe 2011. Call Me Maybe. Oh, yeah. By Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, as you know, it's a perfect pop song. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really think – I think it speaks for itself. I don't really think I need to say anything else about it here. But we're going to play a little bit of it for you. Yeah. And then do yourself a favor and go listen to the whole thing on repeat. I, I, I have nothing insightful else to say about this. It's just a perfect song and it's summertime. So let's get yeah, into let's it. let's have fun. Right? Yeah, let's okay, do it. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. I'm Kate. I'm Sally. Bye. 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 Bye.